My name is Greg Kodrowski, and this is my podcast, Theology 101. I like to study the Bible, and I don't think the Bible is really that difficult to understand. For the most part, it's really pretty simple, and simple is better. So if you're like me, and you want to know more about the Bible, or if you just want to hear more about the Bible, stick around. And if you want to know more about me or check out my pedigree, Google me or visit my website, theology101.net. Hey, thanks for coming back for more. Uh, we are talking about evangelism, that, uh, that work that if you're like me, you want to do more of, but you don't do enough of, and sometimes you're scared of, and sometimes you're just wondering... Gosh, I wish somebody at my church would uh, organize something so that we could go out. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Might touch on some things, get off on an itty-bitty little rabbit trail on a couple of things. And really, in this uh, episode of the the podcast, we are going to just get started talking about this element of the goals of evangelism. I And I'm saying we're just going to get started on it because... We really need to kind of lay a foundation. We got to get some things in context before we start running off with uh, these goals of evangelism and uh, where they come from and, and how we're going to do them and stuff like that. So we're going to take our time. We're going to look at uh, a couple of things. We're going to take a good look at the uh, the, the Great Commission. And uh, there's a lot that could be said about the Great Commission, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and beginning of Acts, and, and we need to talk a little bit about that. But Let's just remind ourselves, let's take just, okay, a minute here to kind of get our heads around our study, what we're looking at. We're, we're starting off our nice, new, shiny podcast called Theology 101. We're starting this podcast off with a series on discipleship. You know, discipleship is one of those buzzwords in Christianity, and uh, everybody's doing discipleship in this and discipleship that, and you're my disciple and I'm your disciple and we have disciples, and it's, it's kind of a hash. And so I wanted to take time at the beginning of the, uh, the podcast, you know, just when we're getting started so I could get some practice and kind of figure out how this podcast stuff works and, uh, and do a series on discipleship. It's something that I've taught before, so I'm, I'm familiar with it, but I think it's also something that needs to be refreshed uh, continually because we, we're just inundated. I'm, I, you know, I just get tired of the, the mess that gets pumped out of the modern church daily. It's just ridiculous, and it's like we never learn our lessons. And so we we keep coming back to stuff like this, and it's important. So it's important to keep ourselves between the white lines and out of the ditches and to keep ourselves in a good understanding of what the Bible says about discipleship. And we started out this whole this whole idea, this whole study of discipleship, talking about our our purpose in life. What's life's purpose? You know, I don't know if you read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but I think it was in that one. Um, you know, what's the meaning of life? And you get to the end, and I think it's like forty two. Um, so, what, what's the meaning of life? What's what's our purpose here? Well, we're here to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Like I've said a couple of times, the Westminster. Uh, shorter catechism. Got that one right. Um, didn't get a whole lot of other stuff right, but we'll give them that one. Um, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And how do we do that? Well, that, that takes us to our mission, and we spent some time talking about our mission, that um, 
our mission in life, you know, is to, to be and make disciples. So if we want to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, we need to be and make disciples. That's our mission. We complete the mission, we fulfill the, the purpose. And and we use the mission, you know, to say, okay, if I'm if I'm being a disciple and I'm making disciples, chances are I'm going to be enjoying God. So chances are, if I'm not enjoying God right now, I'm probably uh, not fulfilling the mission in my life. So after we did that, we talked about our purpose, we talked about our mission, then we took a little time and we talked about discipleship. And that word discipleship, like discipling, it's not, it's not mentioned in the Bible. What we find in the Bible is disciples. So we took disciple and traced it through the scripture and defined that. And what's a disciple and what's he look like? And are we disciples? And, and we kind of worked that out through, you know, what is discipleship? It's actually just a reference to the work of making disciples or being and making disciples. And then we thought, well, well discipling, what's that? And how does that term, you know, kind of fit into our biblical context and, and who's responsible for it? And of course, we come back to the very simple answer. You are, you're responsible to be a disciple and you're responsible to make, um, make disciples just like I am. And then, okay, so with that, we kind of tied up that first part of our, our study on discipleship, what we're, we kind of called biblical theology. It's, it's not, I mean, it's, it's a, it's okay use of the term. What we did, we just, we did a Bible study on our purpose in life. We did a Bible study on the mission. We did a Bible study on disciple, and we kind of used that Bible study to kind of lay a biblical foundation for what's coming next. And what's coming next is, okay, now that I understand this, this biblical theology of discipleship, uh, how, do, how does it happen? And, and that led us to what we're calling a, a biblical philosophy. And it's a biblical philosophy of discipleship. But we're taking this and we're dividing it in two parts because discipleship is made up of the, the two parts, evangelism and, and edification. We evangelize the lost and then we edify the saved. That's how we make disciples. And so we're, we're taking this biblical philosophy of discipleship and we're going to look at a, a biblical philosophy of evangelism and a big, biblical philosophy of edification. And what we mean by this, this this term philosophy, we're not talking about, you know, the philosophy of the world. What we're talking about is is just how does this happen? When we look at the Bible, what does the Bible say about how somebody gets saved? Well, that's a biblical philosophy of evangelism. And then when we say, okay, how does what does the Bible say about how we grow in Christ? Because, you know, you can go get all the self-help books you want. You can go talk to all the gurus you want and listen to all the online podcasters that you want. At the end of the day, what's the Bible say about how you're supposed to grow in Christ? Well, that is a biblical philosophy of edification. And then once we've got our biblical theology down, our biblical philosophy down, then we can work out the biblical practice of discipleship, how we actually want to do that. And that's going to look different, you know, for every Christian, that's going to look different in every local church, that's going to look different in every culture, it's going to look different from year to year. It's the stuff we change, you know, maybe one year we use this material, maybe one year we focus on street preaching, the next year we change our material, the next year we use tracks, you know, it's just, that's the practice. Okay, and we can talk about that, we can get into that, that's what we need to do first is, Let's understand what the Bible says about it. And so we took some time in our last study, uh, the last podcast, um, I guess it's called an episode, um, we talked a little bit about this this biblical philosophy of, of evangelism being made up of means and goals, 
means, M-E-A-N-S, means. First, there's the conviction of the sinner, and then the preaching of the cross, and then the conversion of the sinner, and then the, the regeneration of the sinner. Those, those four means of evangelism are what the Bible says is basically how somebody gets saved. You think about it, you know, the Bible says that there's none good, no, not one, and there's none that seeketh after God. And so nobody seeks after God just by themselves. So God has to intervene. And he does. He intervenes. He convicts that sinner through the uh, the witness and the testimony of creation and conscience and a lot of other things that go on. And, and he convicts the sinner by the work of his Holy Spirit that he sent out into the world. And that's, the, that's that first means, the conviction. So God intervenes. He begins to work in the heart and the life of that, that, uh, that sinner, that lost person. And then along comes the cross, because the, the sinner needs to hear the preaching of the cross in order to be saved. It's the preaching and the message of the gospel communicated in a way that he can understand it. It's very simple. You know, you broke God's law, and Jesus Christ paid the fine. You know, repent and believe, and, and away we go. So... Uh, the, it starts with conviction, it moves to the preaching of the cross, and then there has to be a conversion. And this is the, the decision moment, and I know a lot of people just hate that word um, when it's used in the context of evangelism, but it's it's a good word. You know, the, the sinner that hears the gospel under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God is given sufficient faith by God to be saved. What he does with that faith is his decision. You see, God does everything else. God will convict that sinner. God will open that sinner's eyes to his his uh, mortal problem, and uh, he'll send somebody to preach the gospel to him. He'll give him understanding of that gospel, and through the understanding and the preaching of the gospel, God gives that that sinner enough faith. Maybe the faith is small as a mustard seed, but he gives him enough faith to be saved, and then he steps back, God does, and he kind of says, okay, what are you going to do with that? And so the sinner has to decide, will he repent of his sin and trust in Christ, that's the conversion, or will he just walk away and throw that, that, that faith away that God gave him? And if he converts to Christ through repentance and faith, well, the Bible says he is regenerated, and he is regenerated by the presence of the Holy Spirit of God and his spirit making him born again. He's new. He's got new life. So with that comes the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and bam, we've got a, we've got a new believer. And so we ended our, our study the last uh, episode with a question. We were talking about this very same thing, you know, the means, getting us into the goals here uh, in this episode, and we talked about a a question, okay, where's the weak link in this process? You know, the conviction of the sinner, the preaching of the cross, the conversion of the sinner, and the regeneration, especially in our from our perspective, you know, you and I, let's you and I were Christians. We're sitting here, we're, we're working through the Bible. I think there's only really one person who listens to my my podcast. Hi, Dave. Um, and so here we are, we're sitting here, we're saved. Where's the weak link? Well, you know, is it it's not with God. God's he's done his part. I mean, seriously. Um, he's done his part throughout history. He did his part on the cross, he did his part in the resurrection, he did his part in the ascension, he's doing his part today, convicting sinners. Well, the weak link is us, um, and so that's where the goals come in. And when we look at this uh, this process, you know, and think, you know, yeah, I'm the weak link with with the idea of these goals of evangelism, and they're very, very simple. If if we could 
Just accept the fact that evangelism is easy. Evangelism in the sense of easy to understand. It's not like God asks us to stand on one leg and hop to, you know, from the East Coast to the West Coast and then do something silly. I mean, he just, he gave us two things to do. We're going to see we've got two goals. Okay, two goals. And that's it. We've got two responsibilities if, in evangelism. And if we would just do these two things, we'd see God work. So the two goals, uh, you know, that God gives us are are basically the two goals that we have in this initial uh, beginning work of making a disciple. You say, I want to go make disciples. You know, I want to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, and that means I got to make disciples. How do you make disciples? Well, you got to start with evangelism, and you think, well, oh man, I don't know how to do that evangelism. It's so complicated. It's so scary. Well, no, wait a minute. You know, we need to be conscious of the means. I mean, it's it's basically just mental assent. You know, understanding the means of evangelism doesn't really help you much, but it, it gives you a, a frame of mind to understand your part. It gives us a frame of mind to understand our part. And you say, okay, well, conviction. I don't have anything to do with the conviction of a sinner. I, the, the sinner, that's God's business. God convicts the sinner. That's what he sent his Holy Spirit into the world to do, to convict men of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. So, hey, I don't do that, okay? Um, regeneration, not, not my business. You think I could regenerate somebody? I couldn't regenerate myself. Um, how about the, the, the conversion of the sinner? You say, well, I converted. Yeah, but, but when we're out evangelizing, it's not my responsibility to convert sinners. That's not my decision. So where, where do we land? We land right with the uh, with the cross and the preaching of the cross. So that's where we need to focus. We don't need to worry about all the other means, you know, the conviction and the the conversion and and the the regeneration. We need to focus on the goals. That's our responsibility before God. And if we if we meet those goals, if we accomplish those goals, we will see God do His work because God wants to save people a whole lot more than than we do. You know, how many times a day do you think, man, I'd preach to that guy, but he's a, you know, he's a hard-headed dude. You know, he, he busts hell wide open. He probably deserve it. Well, we all deserve it, right? But God would never, I mean, God wants to save all people. God, Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. And so God's already at work. God's working. And what we need to do is focus on our two goals. What are those two goals? You know, these two elements of our responsibility before God and evangelism, it's you know, I mean, I guess I could make fun of it and say, ooh, here comes another theological term, or here comes something really difficult to understand. But look, it's go and preach. I, I guess I could stop my podcast right now, and we can move on to the next topic, right? Go and preach. Uh, because that's it. There's our two goals. Go and preach. Uh, if we want to make disciples evangelizing, uh, we need to evangelize the lost. And um, where are we going to find them? We got to go to where lost people are. If we want to, to, to evangelize the lost, we got to go out. We got we to gotta get to where the lost people are. You know, you can't sit in your house and, uh, and talk on a microphone and do a podcast and hope you're going to save people. Maybe you'll reach one or two, but I'm telling you, if you go down to the T-Mobile Center, which is the uh, it's the arena in, in downtown Kansas City, they have concerts down there. It used to be called the Sprint Center. 
and uh, during a concert, and there'd be thousands of people just pouring across the streets and uh, going into the Sprint Center. I mean, we'd go down there and preach at them and uh, pass out tracks, and then as they're walking away from us, we'd preach at them some more. I mean, we got to go to where the, the sinners are, and then we preach. We just communicate the gospel, okay? It's the message of the cross, and lost people need to hear the gospel. It's Romans 10, 13 to 17. That's, uh, you know, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and in context, it's the hearing of the Word of God that's preached, it's the gospel. And so how beautiful are the feet of them that, that preach the good news, the gospel. So that's that's what we need to do. Now, I'm going to just, just mention this. I, I said preach, okay? Go and preach, go and preach, go and preach. So um, if anybody, in addition to Dave, anybody else is listening to this, because Dave and I were we do, the, we do the street preaching thing. Don't misunderstand me. When I talk about preach, all I am talking about is, is speaking to someone with the authority of Scripture. That's all I, I... You can talk to somebody, you can be nice, you can explain, um, you can have a conversation, you can do that over barbecue or muffins at Starbucks, you, could, you can evangelize any way you want, on the bus, in a car, on a plane, um, you can go out and preach on a street corner. Uh, you can talk to your family members. You can do it through a gospel tract. The gospel tract is an authoritative communication of the gospel in written form. And so when I say preach, all I'm talking about is announcing, communicating, I guess is a better word, communicating the message of the gospel in an authoritative manner. In an authoritative manner doesn't mean you're in somebody's face. It just means that we don't rely on, hey, this is how I feel, or Jesus, he's done this for me, and this is my experience. No, we just say, look, the Bible says. Okay, God says in the Scripture that this, and God says that, that, and God says, and the Bible says, and that's the authoritative manner of preaching the gospel. So don't think I'm just talking about uh, preaching on the streets and, and public ministry and stuff like that. Obviously, obviously, because I like that. Um, I'm going to probably talk about that a little bit more than anything else, but apply that to any context, you know, at work, around the water cooler, or uh, at a family reunion, or, you know, whatever. So preaching, go and preach, go and preach. Now, so if if we want to uh, evangelize, like uh, like God would want us to, to go out and, and make disciples evangelizing, those are the two principal things we've got to pay attention to. That's uh, that's it. We got two goals. Now I want to go over to First Corinthians chapter three just for a moment, um, just for a moment, because a lot of people like to throw in a third element. Okay, a lot of people like to throw in a uh, a third goal based on First Corinthians three six. First Corinthians three six about Apollos and and Paul, and Paul says, "I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase." And so a lot of people will take this and they say, you know, we need to plant, okay? That's obviously sowing the seed of the gospel. That's the preaching. That's the sharing of the gospel. That's communicating the gospel message. And then an Apollos comes along and he watered. So that's prayer. And uh, no, it, it's not. Um, and you say, oh, Greg, you're a heathen. You don't pray. I mean, there's there's going to be a whole bunch of fallout for this. So I've got a section in this uh, in this not in this episode, but in this lesson on the goals of discipleship. I've got a a section on prayer. It's all the way at the end because we're not going to understand the need we have for prayer until we understand what our responsibility is, okay? And once we understand our responsibility within the context of go and preach, once we really see that in Scripture, then we understand, 
then we understand what we ought to be praying for, okay? So I'm going to talk about prayer, and I'm going to talk about prayer in the context of evangelism at the end of this lesson. We're not going to get to it in this episode, but what Paul says here, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. This idea of watering, okay, this idea of watering is edification, okay? Paul says, I planted Okay, Paul sowed the seed. That's evangelism. Apollos comes along later, after Paul left Corinth, and he waters the plants that had that had that were born from the seeds that Paul planted. Okay, so that's what we need to understand is obviously Paul comes along, he sows the seed, the gospel, Paul, then, then Apollos comes in after him, he waters it. Okay, watering is given that plant the nutrients it needs to to grow and he edifies. And so in context, and we're going to read a little bit about that from, from verse 10 to verse 15 here in just just a second, or verse 10 to 12 actually. And uh, and and Apollos comes along later to to edify to build upon what what Paul did. So when when Paul says, "I have planted," that's evangelism. Apollos watered, that's uh, edification. But God gave the increase in both evangelism, save souls, and edification in conforming the believers to the image of Christ. And so we get another uh, metaphor, another picture and type. You know, a metaphor that Paul uses starting in verse eleven, and it's the same thing. It's a parallel. So where where Paul says, "I planted," Apollos watered. Here in verse eleven, he says. Uh, he, he talks about laying a foundation and then building upon that foundation. So the laying of the foundation is the same thing as as planting the seed. That's salvation. And then we build upon that, we water it so it'll grow, and we build upon the foundation, and that building grows. Uh, that's edification. So look at verse, verse 10, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.10. The Bible says, According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another, Apollos, buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. And so we see in verse 11, Paul continues with the same metaphor, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation is Jesus Christ. It's Christ in my life. It means salvation, okay? Salvation. And then after I have that foundation of salvation in Jesus Christ, it says, I build upon that, verse 12, now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, that's what we have as far as the structure on top of the foundation. But the foundation is first, and then we grow on top of the foundation. We build on top of that foundation. So you have those two parallel metaphors. Paul planted, Apollos watered. Paul evangelized, Apollos edified. And then he moves over to that parallel metaphor, and he says, look, I... I laid the foundation, I evangelized, I started this church, and then Apollos came along and he edified on top of that foundation, okay? So he started building with you guys. Now, you can see that in history. you got to go back to uh, Acts chapter 18, at the end of uh, Acts chapter 18 and into the beginning of Acts chapter 19. That's where we see Apollos kind of getting into Corinth. 
Obviously, we're not saying that Apollos didn't evangelize when he was in Corinth. All we're saying is, in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when Paul is saying, hey, I planted, he, he watered, hey, I laid the foundation and he built upon it, um, it's basically just saying uh, that, that Apollos, he came after Paul and built upon what Paul laid there, as far as the foundation and, and sowing of the seed. One verse, one additional verse in this context, 1 Corinthians 4.15 Paul, Paul was the one who started the church. Paul was the one who planted the seed where there was no church. He was the, he was a church planter. And uh, 415, 1 Corinthians 4.15 says, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, one of which was Apollos, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. And so I just wanted to mention that uh, because I'm saying there's there's... There's two goals in evangelism: go and preach, go and preach, go and preach, and uh, and I like that. I mean, seriously, I like that. It's simple. If we could just keep it simple for the stupid, um, we we do a man. We could do a lot, you know. But we get ourselves all mixed up in friendship evangelism. And we've got to go, and we got to be buddies, and we've got to have you know a, a barbecue or an ice cream social. Um, I don't know churros for Christ, I, something you know, and and we just make a big deal out of it when it's not a big deal. Um, God has has charged us with the the work of just going in the sense of hey, find out where lost people are. Go to them and then communicate the gospel in an authoritative way, okay, not rude, not, you know, um, in your face, but just just communicate in an authoritative way that, hey, God said. And you can do that, like I said, through a gospel track, through a, uh, a friendly conversation, or you can do it preaching on the street corner. So um, we have two goals. Those are God's expectations for us in evangelism, go and preach. So where do we start? Where do we start? You say, ooh, um, Greg, you just pulled those right out of your hat. You know, go and preach. That sounds great, but where did you get those? Well, I tell you, I got those from the Great Commission. And, uh, you know, more and more, I guess the term is okay, Great Commission. You know, Great Commission and Great Commandments, and and I, I, I get it. Okay, I get it. There's It's a good way to refer to this portion of Scripture that's found in the four Four Gospels, okay, it's found in, it is found in all four, it's, uh, it's cl- more clear in the in the synoptics than in John, but but we'll see it in John 2. So I get these two goals, or these two goals come from, okay, this is this is what we got, exegesis, it comes out of, it's, it's inductive study. We just read the Bible, and then we pull out of the Bible our doctrine. And so when I say we need to go and preach, where am I getting that from? And I, I'm getting it from the Great Commission, and I'm going to explain to you why later on, because if there's anybody out there listening that's kind of leaning toward hyper-dispensationalism, you know, I know you've already got your knickers in a knot thinking, oh, Great Commission's not for us. Well, we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. So let me run through the Great Commission passages, and we can see this uh, in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Uh, oh my gosh, we could talk about that for, for so long. I mean, the Davidic covenant, oh wow, this is it. I mean, I mean, slap me in the face. This is this is Jesus Christ saying, hey, hey, I got it. Okay, I got it. I got it. And there's nobody going to take it away from me. This is, this is awesome. And he goes on and he says, 
Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so we see he says, go. First thing he says to them, go. Go, go ye therefore, teach all nations. And that's that's it. You know, go preach, go speak, go communicate, and then baptize. And obviously baptism forms part of what we do, but it's after salvation. It's the first step of obedience after somebody's saved. So we don't include that in the means and the goals of evangelism. Somebody can be saved and not baptized. Look at the thief on the cross. He didn't get baptized, so if you got to be baptized to be saved, I don't know where that guy went because Jesus Christ said he went to paradise when he died. So, next one, Mark chapter 16. This is the easiest one. You know, Mark is a, he he speaks in that very succinct, choppy uh, form, you know, as you read through there, everything straightway, 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 you know, it's like quick, 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 quick. Um, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. And uh, his presentation of the uh, the Great Commission is just like that, Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye un- into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I mean, what what more could you want? I, I don't know how many times I've used that. I mean, that's just perfect. You know, that's exactly what God wants us to do. Um, just pull that verse right out of there and just, I mean, tattoo it, you know, in reverse on your the, on your forehead so you could read it every morning when you look in the mirror. Go and preach, go and preach, go and preach. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's what God wants, okay? Luke, you can see the, the same thing at the end of Luke. Uh, Luke 24, Luke 24. We're going to have to get a little creative with John. John's not this easy. He makes things a little difficult for us, but um, his is still kind of cool, uh, really kind of neat. So Luke first, Luke chapter 24, verse 46, Luke 24, 46, and said unto them, so this is Jesus saying unto his disciples, thus it is written, and thus uh, it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And verse 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you're witnesses of these things. So go and preach. You know, go is implicit. It's not a command like we saw in Matthew and Mark, but it's implicit in the fact that he tells us to go preach repentance in all the nations. So you got to go get to the nations. If you're in one nation, you got to go get to another one and then preach, 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 go and preach. Now look at John chapter 20, verse 21. John 20, 21, you know, everybody says, well, the Great Commission isn't repeated in in the book of John. Sure it is. Uh, John 20, 21. Then said Jesus to them again. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Peace be with, peace be unto you as my father has sent me even so send I you. So there's the commission. There is Jesus Christ sending his disciples. The disciple becomes the apostle when he's sent, okay? Sent ones, the apostles. That's, that's why we call missionaries missionaries. It's um, it's kind of the same concept. But there, there's the mission. There's the great commission. There's Jesus sending his disciples. So all we need to do is uh, define how it was that the Father sent Jesus, because Jesus said, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So we're sent the same way God sent the sent Jesus. So Jesus sent us the same way God the Father sent Jesus. Luke 19.10. Now here's where we're going to get creative, compare Scripture with Scripture, and let the Scripture define itself. How was Jesus sent? What was Jesus sent to do? Okay, implicit, implicit, in the fact that he was sent is the command to go. 
he had to say Jesus was sent from heaven to earth. So he left heaven and he went to earth or he came to earth. So there's your implicit command to go. So we're sent and we're sent the same way he was. Luke 19.10 says, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So he came here primarily to seek and save which that which was lost. Well, what was lost? I don't know about you, but I was. And uh, that's what he came to seek and save. He came to seek and save lost men. He came to seek and save the lost race of Adam and Eve. So that's what he came to do primarily. Good focus there, focus verse on uh, on rescuing the perishing and, and the evangelism aspect. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus or that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So that's why Jesus Christ came. He came to save sinners, okay? Came to save sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, okay, how did he do that? When we go back and we look at his life, Luke chapter 4, how did he do that? Go back and look at at, at the life of Christ, his three and a half years of of, uh, public ministry. You say, well, okay, how did he do that? Um, Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Luke 4, 43. Luke 4.43, Bible says, and he said unto them, right at the beginning of his ministry, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. So what do you see? Jesus Christ was sent to seek and to save the lost. Jesus Christ was sent to save sinners. How did he do that? That's what we're working on, a, a biblical philosophy. How does evangelism happen? Well, Jesus was sent to save. How did he do that? He says, therefore am I sent to what? To preach the kingdom of God here and in other cities. We have to go and preach. We have to go and preach. So that just takes us back to you know Romans 10. I'm not going to belabor that issue, flog that dead horse. Romans 10, uh, 13 to 17. Great passage, you know, where it says that all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they going to call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they going to hear unless somebody goes and preaches to them? Okay, and then it, then he said, asked, asked the question, well, how are they going to preach unless they're sent? But according to John 20, 21, we are sent by Jesus just the way Jesus was sent by the Father. And Jesus was sent to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was sent to seek and save lost sinners. And he did that by preaching the gospel, to going to where the sinners were, to different cities, and preaching the gospel. So that's why we see in 1 Corinthians 1.17 that Paul says the same thing. You know, Paul's our, 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 our I was going to say our gospel. Paul is our apostle, and uh, he's our example to follow. You know, he says, follow me as I follow Christ in 1 Corinthians 11.1. And that's why we see what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So that's why that's, we see Paul. Paul preaches the gospel. Why? Because he's, he's, he's fulfilling that great commission that we see in John 20, 21. You know, as the Father sent me, so I send I, so send I you. And, and the Father sent him to seek and save the lost by preaching the gospel. So what do we see Paul doing? Going from city to city, just like Jesus, preaching the gospel. Okay? Preaching the gospel. One more. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Um, all the other ones came at the end of the Gospels. Luke wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts, of course, under this, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Um, but he begins the book of Acts 
picking up where he left off at the end of Luke and uh, repeats this, this great commission, but in a kind of a different context, a different way, different words. And he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so unto the uttermost part of the earth from Jerusalem, that requires that they go. And as they go, well, they need to be witnesses. And how are you a witness? You testify. You know, you go and preach, go and preach, and go and preach. So you say, we've got two goals in evangelism. Very easy. Greg, where did you get those? Pull them out of your hat? No, uh, they're right there in the Great Commission. And so this is what brings us to kind of the meat of our study today. Because there are those in the church, and um, there are those in our circles. So yeah, I don't know our circles. I don't know who you are listening to me. I'm, you know, me and Dave. He knows what I'm talking about, right, Dave? Um, there are those who say that the Great Commission is not for the church age. And um, obviously, we need to understand the Great Commission in its proper and biblical context, and we're going to do that. We're going to do that a little bit in this series. Um, right now, we're, and let, me, let me say that again, we're going to do it a little bit in this lesson, and then later on in the series, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it back up, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the Great Commission and some serious, serious anachronistic errors that people create um, with their application of the Great Commission. And what they fail to do is take a, a solid cumulative context of the Great Commission. You know, you what you do is you read back into the Great Commission um, stuff that came later, and it creates a whole lot of problems. And so I've been accused of being a hyper-dispensationalist. I've been accused of not believing the uh, the Great Commission is for the church age, but I just want to say I don't have any problem with it. Um, you know, these are our two goals. Where did our two goals come from? Hey, they came from the Great Commission. Um, but I also understand the very, very important need of understanding the Great Commission in its proper and biblical context. So... With that, let's just talk a little bit about the Great Commission. Where did the Great Commission come from, and what's it tied to? Um, I've got a Schofield Bible here, and I always thought it was, you know, it's kind of interesting. Let me see if I can find this quote for you. This is something that we're going to, uh, Lord willing, uh, develop in some later podcasts. You know, I wanted to kind of get some practice with this podcast thing since I don't really know how to do it and the equipment that I need. You know, I don't even have any equipment. I'm sitting here with a gaming headset on. One of my sons, he does games, you know, video games. And so I got this headset, you know, this gamer's headset that's a USB and I've got a microphone and that's all I got. That's my podcast equipment, you know. Um, so yeah, I'm just just kind of figuring this stuff out. So I wanted to teach this series as an introduction to kind of get my feet on the ground and kind of learn a little bit about how does this stuff work. And later, what's gonna what I'd like to develop is uh, a more of a contextual study on the structure of the Bible and how the Bible fits together, the theme of the Bible, and how how the pieces and parts of the Bible, the the, the historical events, the 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 books, the passages, you know, like I said, the events, how they all fit together in one unified whole. And so, um, I want to talk about the theocratic covenantal dispensationalism and and how all that fits together. Now, there's a note in the Schofield Bible. Um, it is in the Edenic Covenants on page. 
page five. I mean, it's right in Genesis chapter one. Uh, it's referenced. I can't remember. I don't know which from what verse. It's right at the bottom. And he's talking about the Edenic covenant. And then Schofield says about the eight great covenants of Scripture. And he says those eight great covenants of Scripture about which all Scripture crystallizes. Um, this is something that is not taught uh, in our circles. And I say our circles, circles of uh, Bible-believing dispensationalists, Bible believers who say there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a difference between Israel and the Church, and just to take the Bible literally, normally, and understand it as it speaks to us, to let the Bible speak authoritatively and not try and mash it together with allegorical interpretations and say, well, it doesn't mean that, it means this, and look for mystical stuff. Well, Schofield makes this this statement about, you know, covenants, uh, and that Scripture crystallizes around the covenants. And that is is one of those statements where you think, holy cow, why didn't somebody teach me that, you know, two decades ago? And so I want to I want to develop a teaching on that. I want to uh, most of it's going to be done in Spanish. I want to throw it out at you guys in English, and we'll work it out. And and man, hopefully somebody will invite me somewhere to go preach and teach, and we can cover some of this ground in person. That'd be fun too. So, um, the 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 reason I'm mentioning that is that. To understand the Great Commission, it's not like Jesus Christ just kind of pulled this Great Commission out of nowhere. Now look, I mean, here, here's the deal. Gosh, it's just like, it, it all just, it all fits. Look, look, if you read the Old Testament, I mean, if you read the Old Testament, you'll find that God has chosen the nation of Israel and has established the nation of Israel as the head of all other nations, the Gentile nations. He's even divided the Gentile nations according to the number of the tribes of Israel. So we've got 12 tribes and then 12 divisions of the other nations so that Israel can reign over the Gentile nations. And of course, the king over Israel is the son of David, according to the Davidic covenant. Now, that's obviously Jesus Christ. He is the son of David. He's the one that fulfilled the great, uh, he fulfilled the, the Davidic covenant. He's the fulfillment of it. And so when you see that, you see, okay, what God's plan is, is, is that the nations, Gentile nations, would get to Jesus Christ, if you want to think about it that way, through Israel. So it's not that God is saving Israel and nobody else. God has always had a plan to save Gentiles, the, the Gentile nations. So we're going to look at a passage in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 here in just a minute. Don't go there yet. Go to Jeremiah 31. But God's plan has always been to go to the uttermost. His plan has always been to bring in those from the Gentile nations into salvation, into reconciliation with him, but his plan was to do it through Israel. Israel as the, the proxy nation, Israel as the kingdom of priests, Israel as, as the head of the nation, you know, one tribe over each division of the, of the Gentile nations. And, and so when you see at the end of the Gospels, when the son of David um, has risen from the grave, he's victorious. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. He says, I got it. I got the throne. I'm. It's done. Now, he's also ratified 
the New Testament, which is the New Covenant. He's also ratified that with the shedding of his blood, because we know that from the Gospels, when Jesus Christ instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, he, he squeezed a bunch of grapes into a cup, and he says, this wine is the blood of the New Testament, okay, the New Testament in, in, in my blood. And then later, Paul says in the book of Hebrews, um, that, that uh, you know, a testament is in force until the death of the testator. So Jesus Christ is the testator. It is the New Testament in the blood of Jesus Christ. And when he died, he ratified the New Testament, the New Covenant. Well, that New Covenant comes with, just like every other covenant in the Bible, just like Schofield says, the Bible crystallizes around these covenants. Every covenant in the Bible comes with stipulations. That's what a covenant is. It's like a legal document. It establishes various stipulations, and it's, I will do this, and I will do that, and I will do this, and then if it's a conditional covenant like the Mosaic Covenant, then I expect you to do this, and then I'll do that, and if you don't do this, and I'm going to do that. And so these stipulations basically define the legal relationship between God and those he is, he is covenanting with, Okay. And so with this new covenant that Jesus Christ just ratified with his death after his resurrection, we see that the Great Commission is basically the commission to go out to all Gentile nations and bring them to salvation in Jesus Christ through the nation of Israel. Because it's the 12, or the 11, actually, because Judas was gone, but the 11 who, who received the initial Great Commission. So the Great Commission, in its historical context, as it was given, was given to the Jews, and the Jews were supposed to go out to the Gentile nations and bring them in. That's exactly what we see in the Old Testament. So Jesus Christ didn't invent this Great Commission. This is something that has been in the plan of God since, since before time, okay? But with this new, this, this new covenant, the New Testament, and the blood of Jesus Christ, what we see is this Great Commission comes to the forefront, because the Great Commission, the taking of the message of the gospel out to the nations, okay, first to Ju uh, Jerusalem, then to Judea, because the Jews get it first, then to Samaria, because that's half Jew, half Gentile, the Jews get it first, and then it moves out to the Gentiles, and then to the uttermost, that's the Gentiles. And so it, we're going to, God wants them to to Israel gets saved first, and then the Gentiles get saved through Israel. They get to Christ through Israel. That's that was the original plan. That's the original Great Commission. It's what we see in the the uh, cumulative context from from Old Testament all the way up to the death and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in this Great Commission, what we have is the primary responsibility of the stewardship under the new covenant. Yeah, the new covenant establishes a new stewardship with new stewards, and those stewards have a responsibility under this covenant, okay? The testament, the covenant, and the testament, all the testament is is a covenant that's made with, uh, you know, it marks uh, its ratification with the death of the testator, but it's, it's a covenant. So not every covenant is a testament, but every testament's a covenant kind of thing. So let's go back to Jeremiah 31. Because in Jeremiah 31 is where we see the full mentioned passage of the New Covenant. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And what's very, very important that we see here is that this new covenant was made with the nation of Israel. And I say that's important because it's going to help us put our, our responsibility in the Great Commission in, in context. Jesus says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, 
that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Context, okay? Seriously, this, this, this covenant is not made with you or with me. It's made with Israel. Verse 32, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, though I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall, shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, okay, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, I and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more every man his brother, and every man um, teach... Oh, I, I missed that, mess that up. Let's start at the beginning. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so that... That passage defines, uh, there's, there's other stuff added to it later on, especially, okay, folks, especially in Ezekiel. Um, you can read Jeremiah 30 to 33. That's uh, Jeremiah's book of comfort, you know. It's, uh, it's that, that portion of Jeremiah where God gives him hope. It's based on the new covenant. And go over to Ezekiel and look at all the stuff that God promises Israel over in Ezekiel too. So, we're going to cover all that stuff later in different studies. I got some plans and and some studies in progress here that I want to throw out to you. But, but what 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 the Great Commission is is basically the primary responsibility under the the stewardship established by this covenant. And we need to understand that this covenant was made initially. This covenant well, initially initially and always with the nation of Israel. That fact is so important that God repeats it two more times in the New Testament, in Hebrews 8 and in Hebrews 10. So Paul, in, as he writes the book of Hebrews, in, in chapter 8, verse 8, he, he basically quotes Jeremiah and uh, says the very, very same thing that, that Jeremiah said. He said, For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And then he goes on, he basically quotes Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, and then he repeats himself again in Hebrews 10, verses 16 and 17. So the 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 takeaway from this is, is though we are looking at the Great Commission, we need to understand that the new covenant was not made with the church. Okay, that's... I can't say how important that is. The Bible never says that God made this new covenant with the church. He made it with Israel, and he says that very clearly. And he, I mean, and even less so did he make this covenant with the Gentiles, okay? This is a strictly Hebrew covenant. However, okay, now here's the big however, um, it's interesting that our salvation, God took two of the elements, okay, two of the blessings, two of the provisions, two of the promises, two of the elements of the new covenant, and he gave those two elements, only two out of the eight or nine that are in the new covenant, he took two and gave them directly to the Gentiles. Okay, the Gentiles have received two blessings, two provisions, Okay, of the new covenant, and they receive those blessings and provisions 
through repentance and faith, through converting to Christ, repenting of sin and turning to Christ in faith, okay? That, that, that means that they're born again into a new relationship with God, and they're justified. They're what we call uh, saved, okay? Saved. So the two elements of the new covenant that we have received through Jesus Christ are the forgiveness of sins and the new life of the regeneration, okay? Now, if you got your Bible, you're following me along in the Bible, Acts chapter 28, verse 28. There is a direct article that we need to pay very, very close attention to, okay? Because this is, this is what happened, okay? God, Jesus Christ shows up. He offers the kingdom to Israel. Um, they crucify him and say, we have no other king but Caesar. Uh, Jesus on the cross, you know, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And God gave them one more chance through the preaching of the apostles in the first part of the book of Acts, the, the, the Jewish apostles, you know, Peter and his gang, they go out and preach the gospel to, to Israel, and Israel ends up stoning Stephen and, and rejecting that. We even see Paul, after God raises up Paul to take the new message of the, the mystery of the body of Christ out to the Gentiles to say, hey, salvation is now yours. If you want it, it's directly uh, yours. You don't have to go through Israel anymore. You know, you can be saved right now. Um, Paul takes that, that gospel message out, but he takes it to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. He always goes to the Jew first to offer them the, the, the gospel, to offer them what God promised them in the new covenant. It's always the Jew first and then the Gentile, the Jew first. And so we see Paul do that over and over and over and over, even when he's in jail. Because when he's in jail and he's taken to Rome, in Rome, one of the first things he does, Rome in, in Acts chapter 28, is he calls together the Jewish leaders in Rome. And he, he explains the gospel to them. Well, of course, they reject it or they don't accept it. They got okay, yeah, we'll we'll talk about more talk about this more later. And they don't want to make any type of decision. They don't want to make any commitment, no conversion, no nothing. And Paul basically says, you know what, you've got ears to hear and you don't, you got eyes to see and you don't. So verse 28, Acts 28, 28. Paul talking to these Jews, he says, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. I want to make a, a big deal out of that. Um, is it? Is it a definite article? Definite article. The, the salvation. It's a very specific salvation. It's not just God's going to give salvation to the Gentiles and they're going to, you know, they're going to receive it. No, it's the salvation because it's the same salvation that God offered, promised and offered to Israel under the new covenant, that, that combination of forgiveness of sins and new life through the regeneration. The salvation, that salvation, is what he offered to Israel. Israel rejected, and so he says, I'm taking this salvation, the salvation that you rejected, the salvation of God, the new covenant, and I'm going to take it out to the Gentiles. Okay? So when he's talking to these Jews in Rome, he's mentioning the salvation that God has offered them. He's mentioning the salvation that he had procured and provided through the new covenant, the death of Jesus Christ. They rejected it. He says, I'm taking that salvation, the salvation that's found in the provisions of the new covenant, and I'm taking it directly out to the Gentiles. That's what we receive. That and nothing more. Now, I say nothing more like that's a pittance. No. I mean, I got salvation, for Pete's sake. I got salvation. I got born again. I'm, I mean, I'm a child of God, and that's a good thing. But look, no other provision, no other stipulation in the new covenant is ours. 
Nothing. We, we do not, we did not receive the covenant in, it, in and of itself. We do not receive the other elements, the other stipulations of the new covenant. Everything else is for Israel and only for Israel. Okay? And so you say, well, gosh, why did God do that? You know, why did God do that? Well, you know, a lot of people say today, well, it's because God loves you so much. You know, he's got your picture on his refrigerator and he looks at you and he says, oh, I just want to give you salvation. Well, um, Romans chapter 10 tells us why he did it. Romans 10 and 11. Romans 10, 19, Bible says, but I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. We are that foolish nation. We are the fools God is using to provoke Israel to jealousy. He repeats that same thing in uh, 11, 11, Romans 11, 11. I say then, have they, Israel, stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, Salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. And so God took what he promised Israel. You know, what, what he promised Israel from, from time past, at least, you know, as far back as Jeremiah 31. He says, look, you're my people. I gave you the Abrahamic covenant, gave you the Mosaic covenant. I promised you the kingdom. I gave you the king, uh, you know, the Davidic covenant. And I gave you the new covenant, the promise of the new covenant to get you into the, to the kingdom, the messianic kingdom. And he says, you can have it all. And they said, no. When Jesus Christ showed up and he said, I'm the son of David, I'm the king. They said, no, you're not. You're a child of the devil. Okay. They crucified him, turned him over to be crucified. He died, rose again the third day. And then he sent out his disciples one more time to say, hey, this is it. And they, the Jews said, no. And so God took part of the blessings, part of the provisions, part of the good stuff he had planned for Israel through the new covenant, and he took it out to the Gentiles so that the, the Gentiles receiving this freely from God, not through Israel, could make Israel jealous. So there's a lot we could learn from that. One of the most important lessons is, hey, look, God is not done with Israel. Okay, God will restore his nation. It is his beloved nation. It is his chosen nation. It, it's, it's his nation. And that nation will, will rejoice with God in a right relationship with him uh, through the covenants of promise. And one of those covenants of promise is obviously the new covenant, but it's not going to happen until after those days, after those days. So point being, and here's where we're going to try and wrap this up for today, point being salvation in this new covenant, it comes with a stewardship, okay? There is a stewardship with the new covenant. And because we Christians in the church age, we have received the salvation that God provided for Israel through the new covenant, this forgiveness of sins, the regeneration by the Spirit. That's what he promised Israel, and we got it, okay? Because he has given us that specific salvation of the new covenant, we have also received part of the stewardship of the new covenant. We have received the principal responsibility of the stewardship of the new covenant, and the principal responsibility of the stewardship under the new covenant is what we call the Great Commission. Okay? It's the Great Commission. 
So that's why we see at the end of the Gospels, okay, those passages, the Great Commission passages, or at the beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1-8, we know what God's doing. He's, he's sending out this Gospel message to the ends of the earth, but He's sending it out through Israel. When they rejected it, we got it directly, okay? God wants all those who participate in the New Covenant to take the message of salvation in Christ to the world. So it's it's to say the Great Commission is the principal responsibility of the stewardship that God has given to those who would participate in some part in the New Covenant. Okay? So that's why we see Paul in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 17, talking about sending preachers to those who need to hear the gospel so that they can be saved. You know, when he says, you know, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and how are they going to call upon in him in whom they have not believed? How are they going to believe if they don't hear? How are they going to hear unless we preach? And how are we going to preach unless we're sent? Well, look, we're sent. As soon as we are born again, we are sent with the message of the new covenant salvation, forgiveness of sins and rebirth. We are, in the words of Paul in 2 um, Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21, we're ambassadors. You think about an ambassador, this is one of those great passages of uh, you know, our responsibility with the salvation that we have. We are ambassadors. What is an ambassador? It's somebody who is sent to a foreign country to represent his, his national country, his, uh, his you know, original country. And so he goes, and he goes with a message, but he goes with the message of those who send him. And we are ambassadors of Christ in Romans, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.18, the Bible says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors to the world. Verse 19. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So we're ambassadors, we're sent, go. We're sent with the message, it's the message, the word of reconciliation. And so, you know, the scripture in, in 1 Corinthians, and here we're going to wrap this up, two more passages, okay? 1 Corinthians one twenty one and 22, or 22 and 23, sorry. 1 Corinthians one twenty two. The Bible talks about three groups of people. In the Bible, God divides people into three groups. In the Old Testament, he divided them into two, you know, Jews and Gentiles, and then with, um, you know, the birth, the new birth by the Spirit of God, we have, you know, the new creature, the sons of God, us Christians, and so now we've got a third group. And so 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23, Paul says very, something very, very interesting. We ought to pay attention to it because he, he speaks about the three groups, Jews, Gentiles, and the church, and, uh, and he, he gives one distinguishing characteristic for each group. Okay, one distinguishing characteristic for each group. 122, 1 Corinthians 122, for the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks, Gentiles, seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. 
And so the distinguishing characteristic of a Jew is he seeks signs. He's like, dude, I want to see a sign. Why? Because God promised him signs. He didn't promise anybody else signs, signs and wonders. He did Israel. Okay? And the Gentiles, they seek after wisdom. Obviously. Look at the universities the Gentiles have built, you know? Um, just, just as an example. But us, and this is where I want to focus on, what is the one characteristic Paul kind of tags on to Christians to say, hey, this is the defining characteristic of a, of a, of a Christian. You know, the Jew, he's going to ask for signs. The Gentile, he's going to seek for, for wisdom. The Christian, he preaches Christ. He preaches Christ. That is God's means of getting somebody saved. He convicts the sinner. He sends us to preach Christ. Then that sinner converts to Christ, and he regenerates him, forgives him of all his sins, and regenerates him. And so this is kind of our context for our two goals of evangelism. I said I got one more passage, okay? 2 Corinthians 3.6. 2 Corinthians 3.6. It's because of this, because we have received the primary responsibility of the stewardship under the new covenant, okay? We have not received... You know, I think I lied to you. I said we were going to read Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, and we never did. Okay, we'll get to that sometime later. I think I explained it, though. That's that Isaiah 2, 1 to 4 is probably one of the better passages um, that's very clear in seeing Gentile salvation outside the context of uh, the church age. Gentiles come to Jesus Christ through the nation of Israel. Okay, that's been God's plan all along, but it's always through Israel. Israel is the head of the nations, okay? Not like us today. We don't go through Israel. We we got salvation direct through Jesus Christ. I mean, God cut off the natural branches, and he, you know, uh, what do we call that in English? Um, grafted us in, okay? Grafted us in. So uh, it's a different thing that God's doing today. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.6, 2 Corinthians 3.6, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And so Paul says that he and those with him are ministers of the New Testament. There's some people who want to want to pigeonhole that and say, yeah, that's only Paul, because he was establishing the New Testament in his day, and he was a writer of Scripture, and yada, yada. Uh, there is absolutely nothing wrong with saying you and I today are ministers of the New Testament, okay? The New Covenant. Why? Because the salvation we have, even though this New Covenant is not ours, we are not recipients of the New Covenant, we are beneficiaries of two of the blessings, okay? Two of the elements, forgiveness of sins and the new, the new birth, okay? Our salvation is the salvation that comes through the New Covenant, through the New Testament, in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are ministers of a New Testament. We are ministers of the New Covenant in that sense, because we preach the salvation that God made available through the New Testament in Christ's blood. So even though we don't receive all of the New Covenant, it's, it's for Israel, it's only for Israel, it's not for the church, and it's not for the Gentiles— we are still ministers of a New Testament, of the New Testament. Why? Because we preach the salvation 
God made available in that new covenant for Israel. Israel rejected it, and so he took the salvation, that very same salvation, and took it straight out to the Gentiles, and he grafted us in and said, we can have salvation in Jesus Christ without going through the nation of Israel. And so when we, when we start this study, and we're going to pick this up in our next podcast right where we left it off. I've got a couple of more things to say about uh, about the, the Great Commission, and we'll, we'll use that as kind of a springboard to get back into our goals of uh, of salvation or goals of evangelism. But we're gonna we're talking about going and preaching. When we see the means of, of, of evangelism, that yes, God must intervene into the life of the believer and convict him of sin. He's already doing that. Well, that sinner convicted of sin needs to hear the gospel. He needs to hear so he can believe. And how are they going to hear unless we preach? So we've got to go to where that convicted sinner is, and we need to preach the gospel to him. Very, very simple. We do that, and we know we should do that because of the Great Commission. Okay, yes, the Great Commission was given originally to Israel. It was a commission to go out to the Gentile nations and bring the Gentiles into salvation through Israel, okay, like Isaiah chapter 2, 1 through 4. But because Israel rejected that message, God set aside his nation, okay, he cut off the natural branches for a time, not permanently, and then he engrafted us, the Gentile nations, into that blessing directly. We do not receive the covenant in its entirety. We simply receive the provision of salvation that God made, forgiveness of sins and the new birth. And so, yes, is the Great Commission for us today in a general sense? Yes, it sure is. Okay, the content, okay, now that's what we're going to get into our, in, our, in our next podcast. The content, we got to really be careful. So, Come back in a week or whenever I get this done, I might kick it out a little bit early um, because I've got some other stuff I want to talk about. But whenever it comes up, man, listen to the next podcast. We're going to pick it up right where we left it off, and we're going to talk about the Great Commission. We're going to put everything in context, and then we're going to take that and jump into our responsibilities. And I want to show you just how simple it is, just how easy it can be to go and preach the gospel to the lost and fulfill our responsibility of being and making disciples. So thanks for listening. Thanks for coming all the way up to the end. And uh, I hope you'll come back the next time to finish up this study with me. Thanks for spending your time listening to my podcast, Theology 101. Simple is better, and it's just not that difficult to learn the Bible so we can do what it tells us. You can find the rest of my studies in English out on my website, theology101.net. And if you do Spanish, Tengo más de 15 años de estudios bíblicos disponibles en mi sitio web, teología101.net. If you'd like to contact me, there's a contact page on my website. You're also more than welcome to visit me any Sunday that you wish. My church information is also out on my website. Remember what Nicholas von Zinzendorf always said, Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Learn the Bible, do what it tells you, and come back for more Theology 101.